Are you ready to hear the word of God? Are you ready for it to challenge you and to change you? Great. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to continue um, along the lines of the series that we've been in for several weeks now called New Norm. And part of this series comes from God just speaking to me about going deeper um, in our commitment to Him and our relationship with Him and our pursuit of Him, um, but also challenging some of the cult- cultural norms with biblical norms. And that's kind of been the heart of really the idea is that you know, the Americanized gospel, the cultural norm is kind of like Jesus is a good additive to your life. And you need Jesus so you can go to heaven, but then you just kind of live your life, do your thing. And, and, and that's kind of how it starts to feel like Jesus is always there when you need him. And, and that's true. He will never leave us or, nor forsake us. But when you see the, the New Testament norm, see, they didn't, they didn't live their life the way they wanted to live it. And then just when things went bad, Jesus was there for them. They surrendered their life to the calling of God and endured difficulty in all types of circumstance to live a life of faith that changed their world. And so Jesus wasn't an additive to their life. He was the only reason to live. Right? And we kind of have this like Jesus thinks you're good enough, smart enough, and he really likes you. Just everything's going to be okay. And, and Jesus will be here whenever you, you know, have a bad day and need him. But Jesus isn't just, you know, your comfy blanket or your favorite pajamas. He, he is a king, a conquering king who summons us into his kingdom and calls us to his purpose. And for that, we surrender our lives. And now everything becomes about him. That's actually normal. Right. right. And so we've been talking about these things and, and I want to continue along the lines of that today. And I want to talk about something that I think is actually, actually critical to the faith. And it's critical to following Jesus that, that a lot of times we, we don't talk about, just like in this series, we've talked about the fact that you're going to be tested if you follow Jesus. There, there will be tests and trials. And we don't always tell everybody that there's a grind to this faith, that everything's just not sugar plum fairies and pixie dust and unicorns and rainbows, you know, that, that there's actually some grind to it, right? And, and so w- we kind of talked about that and we talked about a lot of different topics and we talked about that everything we do in this life actually matters for how we're going to live in eternity. And so that, that it's not just we're waiting till this thing is over and then we're all going to go live in heaven and be fat baby cherubs with togas on clouds and harps and sing that actually heaven is going to come to earth. That's what the Bible teaches. John saw a new Jerusalem. That's the capital coming down. And this all ends with heaven coming to earth and Jesus making, as he said, all things new. And so if you're one of those that stays up late at night and watches the televangelists talk about how the locusts in the Bible are really helicopters and this is all going to end in nuclear fire and that's why you should buy his nuclear food pack and buckets of food and, okay, let me help you with that. He's nuts, all right? That's not even in the Bible. All right? <laughs> Thank you. Well, preach. <laughs> so anyways, and so, and so this ends with heaven and earth colliding and all things becoming new, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus, and ruling and reigning with Jesus because he's a king. And the Bible says if we've accepted Christ, that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. So we're already living in the kingdom, but we're colonizing the earth, Right? And at the end, the king's going to come back and we're going to rule and reign. And ruling and reigning actually starts the day after you get saved, not the day after you die. Right? And, and, and so with that, with that calling that we've been summoned to, 
I think what is actually critical to the faith is that we actually believe that the God who says he can do the impossible can and will do the impossible because we're believers, not a fan club. Ooh, I got my fish sticker on my car, got Hillsong rocking on my iPod. No, no, no. We're not a fan club, right? Are you with me? And so we're believers. And God says that nothing's impossible to those who believe, that he is the God of the impossible. He tells Mary, he's like, Mary, you're going to conceive and have a child. She's like, I've never even been with a man. How is this possible? And the angel says, everything's possible with God. Nothing's impossible with God, in fact, is the actual quote. And so, and so I think when you talk about the faith, and I'll get back to the text, but I talked about this earlier in the year with Abraham. And Abraham, who is known as the father of our faith, so he's the origin, the example. Do you know that the Bible says he believed God and it was credited or accounted? That's actually accounting terminology. In other words, his account was settled and it was right. So he believed God and where he had a deficit, it was made right, right? It's the same thing for us. We believe in Jesus and we're made right with God. But Abraham is the example of that. He's the first one. He believes in God and is made right with God, the Bible says. But what did he believe? Because he did not, he wasn't made right with God because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus wasn't here yet. Are you with me? And so it'll be a few thousand years before Jesus is going to be here. So he wasn't made right with God because he believed that Jesus was Messiah. So what did he believe? He believed that God would do something impossible. Because God had promised Abraham who was barren and Sarah who was barren, he had promised this barren couple that you're going to have a child and that child is going to become a nation And that would have been impossible any other way. So what made Abraham right with God? He believed God could do the impossible. That is the example of the faith that we're supposed to possess. He is is the father of our faith. He's the father of faith. He's the origin, the example. Are you with me? And so it's actually critical to our faith that we believe that God can and will do the impossible. Not not think, but believe. Not just sing, but believe. And I would say even live a way that, that our actions profess that he will do the impossible. And that's what gets us to our text. So you didn't even know I was going somewhere with that. Because in, in Matthew 14, it was several months ago, I was actually working out at the gym. And I know what you're thinking right now. Like, you go to the gym? And I'm thinking like, shut up. And um, there's a six-pack in my keg. <laughs> Self-righteous judgment. Anyways. And so I was at the gym and my dad taught me years ago because my dad's a pastor and he's been preaching a long time and he taught me years ago, son, you should always have something to write on because you just never know when you're going to get inspiration. And, and it's true. It is true. And so I was at the gym and I just all of a sudden got this inspiration and my mind went to Matthew 14 
where Peter and Jesus walk on the water, where Jesus comes walking on the water and then Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. And, and I preached this text. Oh my gosh, I preached this text so many times. I remember I, probably the first time I preached this text, I was like 19 years old and I was a youth pastor. And I preached it the way most people preach it, that in life there are storms, but, but when you're walking through a storm, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus or you're going to sink because the Bible says Peter looked away, looked at the wind, and he began to sink, and then Jesus had to save him. So I'm like, Jesus is always walking on the waves of your storm, and you got to keep focused on him. And I was 19. I didn't know what a storm was. I thought a storm was a final I forgot to prepare for. You know, like, oh, my God, I'm going to make a C. Um, but, and I was preaching it to teenagers, and they didn't have Instagrams or cell phones. They just thought a storm was when I like someone and they don't like me back. And like, my God, what am I going to do to get through this? Right? So I know a lot more about storms nowadays. Um, and probably you do. And you probably know some things about some storms I've never even had to walk through and, and vice versa. And so it, you can preach it that way. And it will preach good. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. And you can walk right through your storm. And that's good. But that wasn't where the inspiration hit me that day. Because this time I didn't see it the way a lot of people have seen it. And that always excites me because all of a sudden I saw it in the context or through the lens of what if this is a story about a man who did something impossible? Because I don't know where you come from. You know, we have a pool. So far I've had no success walking across it <laughs> on a calm day. I've tried. I sink really well. But, but I don't walk across it very well. And so I don't know, maybe y'all get together at your house and play walk across the water and do little classes and all that kind of stuff. And if you do, you're a liar. And so <laughs> I don't know how that works, but, but, but I thought, what if, this is, what if this is really about a man who did the impossible? And what if we could glean some things because we're supposed to have a faith in the impossible and for the impossible, and so what if this is about a man's faith to do the impossible? And all of a sudden, I saw it differently when I looked at Peter. And so let's go there and, and let's read the text, uh, the scripture together, Matthew 14, verse 25. Now, let me set it up and let you know, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a value meal from Long John Silver's. He had five hush puppies and two fish fillets. Some kid did. And they jacked the kid's lunch and fed 5,000 people. Right? And that was at Bethsaida. And now Jesus is like, okay, disciples, um, I want you to get in the boat and go to Gennesaret. And so he actually goes away, tells them to get in the boat, and they're going to sail across or part of, kind of cut off a part of the, the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles north to south and about eight miles east to west. And they're actually going to sail from um, kind of the, the northeast kind of corner to kind of the west side, so probably four or five miles. And then about three o'clock in the morning, it's going to say the fourth watch. That's three o'clock in the morning. Um, they're in this storm. Jesus isn't with us. He, he went away to pray. Um, and, and, and they're just getting, in fact, the Bible said they're in the midst of the storm, but they're also about, if you do the math, they're about the middle way through their journey. So they're kind of in the middle. And then Jesus is going to come walking on the water and Peter's going to do some weird stuff and we'll get to that. So let's read this text together. Verse 25, it says, and then the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, 
if it's you. Does anybody else find that strange? <laughs> Take heart. It's me. Lord, if it's you. Anyways. Some of you, you're going to get that over dinner when you really wake up well. So, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. Verse 30, but when, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, a lot of times I make fun of Peter. And I can do that because I'm a lot like Peter, because I have a similar disease. It's called speak and then think. <laughs> right? Like, here's Jesus walking on the water, and I don't, personally, I, a lot of the Bible movies trip me out when they show Jesus, because he always looks like a stoned hippie. Um, <laughs> it is I. Come. I <laughs> come to you, Jack. You look like a freak, man. I'm, like, I'm sorry, but y'all, I don't think Jesus was like that. You know, they always have Jesus like he's floating on something. That's what I'm saying. He's like, he... <laughs> Fear not. I'm, I'm fearing just looking at you, man. It's scaring me to death. Stop that. So I don't think Jesus is like that at all. But anyways, I, I think with Peter, so many times, you know, he, he has these interactions with Jesus. Remember, he told Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm going to die. And Peter said, you're not going to die. And then Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You know, it's like, Peter, you're not paying attention to me. I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Peter and there's Jesus. And he is being transfigured in front of him. And Peter's talking. And God has to say, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, Peter, Peter, shut up. You know, it's, somebody else needs to talk. So Peter kind of had this like act, think, you know, act, and then think later, talk, and think later. Remember, they come to arrest Jesus, and Jesus is totally like, I'm going to let you arrest me because you're going to kill me, and then that's how I'm going to, you know, rise again. And Peter sneaks up behind a guard and lops his ear off, and then Jesus guy goes, Peter, golly, he picks up the ear, heals the guy, whoop, puts it right back on. Peter, calm down. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're Peter, you're like trying to kill somebody for Jesus, and then he's kind of rebuking you and putting the guy back together again. Like, Jesus, you just became the medic for the other team. What has happened here? And so many times it's easy for me to make fun of Peter because this doesn't make sense to me because if you're reading the story and Jesus is walking on the water in the storm and, and you're like, oh, my God, it's a ghost, and then he's like, you're not, it is I. You know how they portray him, right? Then I think the story should read, okay, hey, guys, no worries. It's Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we saved a spot in the boat for you. End of story. Because that's normal. Or maybe it's not. The other thing is if I'm Peter and I'm like, oh God, we're scared. Don't worry. It's me. I'd be like, Lord, if it's you, tell John to walk out there to you. And if John doesn't die, we know it's you, Jesus. That may be because I'm a younger brother and there were many experiments like, Marty, you try it. If you don't die, everybody else will. <laughs> and so, but it just, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me for Peter to respond like this is not normal that you would say, okay, Jesus, if that's you, you tell me to walk on the water with you. But maybe that should be normal. 
Here's one first thing you want to write down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, you should take notes and you should write this down. The first thing you'd want to write down is faith looks for an opportunity. Faith pursues opportunity. Do you know what struck me that day in the gym as I was thinking about preaching this to you? What struck, struck me was Peter was looking for an opportunity to exercise his faith and get out of the boat while everyone else was comfortable staying in the boat. That he looked, he looked for an opportunity to get out of the boat. Peter was going to use his life. Think about this. Jesus, is that you? It's me. If it is you, tell me to get out of the boat. Peter's like, I'm okay using my life to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And you can't do that in the boat. What would, what would hell do with a group of people that were not trying to stay in the comfort of a boat, but were looking for opportunities to embrace the uncertainty of the storm in order to use their own lives to prove that Jesus is what they sing about him being. What would that look like? If we said, I'll use my life I'll not spend my life asking God to prove himself to me. I'll spend my life proving God to everyone around me. Hashtag, that's freaking good preaching. <laughs> Ethel, did he just say that in church? <laughs> yes, but he woke everybody up. But what have we used our life? What have we used our life to prove that God is who we say that he is, who we sing about him being, who we profess that he is. And that's what I saw with Peter. Peter pursued this opportunity. He seized this opportunity in a storm, not to cling to the, the, the certainty and the comfort of the boat, but to step out of the certainty into what is very uncomfortable and very uncertain in this storm and flex his faith and take an opportunity by the storm that presented itself to him and Jesus and the circumstance to say, I wonder if I can walk on water with Jesus. Well, Lord, if, if that's really you, you see, faith, faith doesn't really work in the boat. Faith works on the water. And, and so Peter... You know, we assume everybody had faith, but we see Peter's. You know, faith is always our response, and it's always our response to Jesus. It's always our response to God. In fact, if we believe him, the proper response is always faith. I mean, it's, it's, it's even how we are saved. Ephesians 2.8, it's how are we saved. You've got to get the prepositions right. We are saved by grace, through faith, Four works. You mess up. You mess up any of the prepositions. It doesn't work anymore. We're not saved by works, right? We're not saved through works, but we're saved for works. We're not saved by faith through grace. We're saved by grace through faith. It's God's grace. Our faith is the response, and He calls us to purpose. Yeah. 
So the prepositions are right, but our, it's always our response. It's always our response. And I could preach it this way because I believe it this way. I believe that Peter actually didn't walk on the water at all. I believe Peter walked on the word from God. It was just one word, but it was the word that he stepped on. That's why, that's why um, Peter, in fact, it's Peter that says it this way, that, that God's given us these good and precious promises by his glory so that we can live lives, live a life that, that he's called us to. That, that we actually stand and step and walk on the promises of God. And so Peter's in the boat and he says, if it's you, and Jesus says, it's me. And he gives him one word, come. And he steps out of the boat onto the word of God. Peter had enough faith to step out of the boat with one word from God. And we're still praying for a ninth confirmation. He had a faith. He had a faith that could walk on one word from God. See, I don't think you can do the impossible in the safety of the boat. I think you have to actually be willing to step out on the waves. And so Peter pursued an opportunity to leave that safety of that boat, step on the uncertainty of the water, and use his life to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. Who do you say that he is? And does who you proclaim him to be change how you live? And so, so faith for the impossible, faith pursues opportunity. Here's the second thing you'd probably want to write down if you were writing things down. <laughs> faith takes risks. Faith takes Risk. Remember, we were talking about Abraham. And, and Abraham, you know, God calls him and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child. And this is a miracle, right? It's impossible any other way. And the Bible says the next morning, Abraham arose early and left. He didn't take a leave of absence. He quit. He kissed mom goodbye. Do, do you see what I'm saying? He didn't go to his employer and say, you know, I'm just trying to find myself and I may need some personal time and I'll be back when I figure it out. No, he quit. He sold his house. He loaded up his donkey, got his family, his household of servants, kissed mom and them goodbye. He said, we're going this way. Where are you going? Don't know, that way. Like, faith, faith takes risks, just like Peter is willing to take a risk. And, and willing to step out of the boat when everyone else wanted to, to step or stay in the boat. You see, I, I, think that, I think that if God is really who we say he is, and God declares himself to be a God where impossibility is always possible. In fact, honestly, impossibility is a word we use to describe a situation because God has never embraced the idea of anything being impossible because he's God. That's why the angel said nothing is impossible with God. Let me say it another way. With God, there is only possible. God's never met a mountain he can't move. He's never run in, in, into anything that he couldn't do something about. There's nothing impossible with God. And so if we believe that nothing's impossible with God, and we believe that God is who he declares himself to be, then, and we are summoned to follow him and called into his calling, then to follow him, it is risky. 
Jesus said, people give up houses and land. They, they walk away from their families. This is what it's like. To I want to follow you. Don't you know? I don't have a place to lay my head. Foxes have holes. Birds have, have you know, nests. But Son of Man has no place to lay. It's, in other words, it's risky. It's going to cost you something. Like you're going to have to gamble a little bit, in a sense. I'm not saying go the boats. You're going to gamble a little bit with your life. Somebody be like, yes, he said it. No, hush. It's a phrase. Not an endorsement. Anyways, but we're actually going to take risk if we follow Jesus. In fact, following God, I think, is calling us to a lifestyle of taking risks. Um, have you ever, do you remember, I think it was like probably, I don't know, sixth grade science, where they taught us about potential and kinetic energy? Do you guys remember that? And, and remember how potential energy is just that. It's, it's, it has the potential to be energy. Energy has got to be matter in motion, right? And so if you had a pendulum and you took the bottom of that weight of the pendulum and you held it to one side and you held it there, that's potential energy because there's gravity, there's, there's some laws that, that are going to affect it if you let go of it. But it's potential. And why is it potential? It's not moving. But if you let go of it, it becomes kinetic. That's energy. It's motion, matter in motion. Now, now we have some energy there. Does that make sense? See, I think everyone has faith. In fact, the Bible says that you have faith. In fact, I'll show you something right now that will shock you. The first thing is the Bible says that to each one is given the measure of faith. I think everybody has faith. In fact, it says the measure of faith is the actual language, not a measure. In fact, I think we all get to start with the same thing, right? But Galatians 2.20 says something in the, the old school King James, which I, I honestly think after studying the text is the most accurate version of the Bible for this text because a lot of versions shift uh, um, a, a, prepositional, um, a preposition and it kind of changes the context just a little bit. But it says, I'm crucified with Christ. I know it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. This is the phrase that gets messed up. I live by, most versions change by to in. I live in or by the faith, or I'm sorry, I live by the faith, I'm sorry, of, that's the preposition. I live by the faith of the Son of God. A lot of them says in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God versus I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, if you study it, you're going to find this is the most accurate version, and here's why. The whole point of this is that Christ is in us, and Christ is living through us, and the phrase is actually that I actually have the same faith that Jesus has. I live by the faith of the Son of God, not in the Son of God. Not from the Son. I live by the faith of. It's the same faith. It was in him, it's in me. He's in me. The faith that was in him is in me. In other words, if you're a believer, good news, you have as much faith as Jesus. So all of us have this thing called potential faith. We're going to use faith instead of energy now. Right? Yeah, potential faith. But the reason we read about Peter in Matthew 14 is not because, see, every disciple in the boat had potential faith. But Peter had kinetic faith. Right, that we, we could guess, we could assume, we could hope that they all had faith and they probably all had about the same amount of faith, really. 
But the difference between the other 11 and Peter is that Peter's faith was in motion. Their faith was a theory, but, but Peter's was an evidence. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. See, Peter made Jesus evident. It doesn't say that faith is like an idea and a theory. It says it's a substance and it's an evidence. Peter's faith was an evidence that Jesus was who he said he was because his faith moved him out of the boat. You don't need more faith. You just need to move with your faith. Do you know what I love about this text? I love it because Peter didn't ask for a guarantee. He asked for a command. Lord, if it's you, command me. Not guarantee me I'm going to be okay. Yes, Lord. (laughs) This train is bound for glory. This train... If you're going to do this, you got to be really comfortable and you got to be able just to roll with what happens. Just like in the 5 p.m. when a lady shouted out, spank us. I was like, nope, nope, don't, don't think we're going to. Don't think that's what we do here at Pathway. Please don't post that on Instagram. Back to the sermon. <laughs> but, but here's the thing is Peter asked for a command, not a guarantee. In other words, he didn't say, Lord, if that's you, I'd like to come out there. I need to know, have you been trained in CPR? Do you know anything about water rescue? Spend any time with the Coast Guard? Lord, can you guarantee me that this is going to work out the way that I want it to work out? He didn't ask for a guarantee. He asked for a command. I wonder what would change in our lives if we stopped praying for guarantees and blessings and just started asking God, what would he command us to do today? Right? Because this is what people say. I I love this as a pastor because this is one of the the ones I've heard the most. And if you've said it to me, you're off the hook because I don't know you're here. You know, pastor, I'm just praying if this business deal goes through, I'm really, I'm going to start tithing. Really? Okay. I don't believe you. Because if you can't give a dime out of the dollar you have now, how are you going to give $1,000 out of the $10,000 you make then? If a dime is too expensive now. But sometimes we go to God, God, you know what? If you bless me, if you increase me, if you, if you do all this, if you give me a financial guarantee. And here's the thing. He didn't give you a guarantee. He gave you a command. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. But isn't it true? Like God, we feel like God's calling us to do something. We're like, God, you got you to gotta guarantee me this is all going to go okay. And, and, and I know I'm supposed to quit this job and move there. I'm supposed to do this thing. But God, you got to guarantee me that it's all going to go okay. But God doesn't work in guarantees. He works in commands. Do you know why? 
Because God's never doubted his ability to take care of you. Um, there's this story that I love in, in 1 Samuel 14. Um, when you talk about taking risk, I think this one is classic. Um, so let me set it up. What's happened is uh, King Saul. Saul is king. He has a son named Jonathan. Uh, David's in hiding because Saul's trying to kill him because Saul has already disobeyed the Lord and God's already chosen David. And, and so then we get to 1 Samuel Chapter 13 in the last verse tells us that Saul and the Philistines were engaged in a conflict and Saul and Jonathan and 600 troops have been cut off from the rest of the Israelite army and they're cut off at this pass called Michmash. And, and so now they're, they're like surrounded by the enemy essentially and cut off from all their reserves and all their troops. And it's Saul and Jonathan and 600 troops and theoretically just bottom line, there's no way to win. They are going to die. It is bleak. They have no supplies. They don't have their army. They are vastly outnumbered. There's 600 of them, and the other army, the Bible says, has thousands of chariots. It's not even talking about foot soldiers. Are you, are you with me? And so, um, and so you're reading this, and it's bleak, and then all of a sudden, Jonathan gets an idea. And so if you look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 14, and you look down at verse 6, you're going to see this. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, so his armor bearer, he says, watch this, watch this. He doesn't tell Saul, he doesn't tell the men. Saul, Jonathan, 600 men, they're camped out. They're pretty much dead. And Jonathan has this idea, and he tells his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. So that's, that's the army of the Philistines. Let's go over to the army. There's two of us. Thousands of chariots. Let's go over to the army of, of, of the Philistines. He must have had a word from God. An angel must have appeared to him. It must have been a Christophany, which is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. Surely there was some radical encounter where God came in fire, burned a bush or something. No, here's what Jonathan said. Let's go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be. He's dehydrated. <laughs> Something's going terribly wrong. He's delusional. Let's go over to the, the to the Philistine army. It it may be, it may not be, but it may be, but it but it may not be, but but it may be, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Here's what he said. I wonder what God. I wonder how God would respond to this act of faith. I've got no guarantee. I don't even have a command. But I'm just curious to see, since I'm using my life to prove that God is who he says he is, and I'm okay with taking some risks, I'm just curious to see what God would do if I stepped out. He says, for nothing can hinder the Lord, for he can save by many or by few. In other words, God's able. It's not a question of God's ability. It's, it's never really a question of God's ability at all. It's usually more a question of what we're going to do than what God's able to do. But it's like, it, it may be, 
I wonder what God might, could do if you would step out. I wonder how God would respond to your action of faith. Are you breathing? Do, do, Do you hear what I'm saying? Like it may be, it may be that God, just like Jonathan, just like Peter, just like so many other people in the Bible, it may be that if you stepped out in faith, God would respond miraculously. Because the whole Philistine army is defeated by Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan saved the day, not with, not with a command, not with a guarantee. He saved the day on maybe. Isn't that cool? And so, so faith pursues opportunity, and faith is okay taking risks. And here's, here's the last thing. Faith overlooks circumstances. Um, I, you know, when I was thinking about that, the, the day in the gym, when, when I was getting all this inspiration, and, um, you know, I, when I go to the gym, I'm usually just, I'm kind of to myself. I don't talk to people. And so if I offend you, I'm sorry. I'm not there to talk to you. Um, I'm there to get my workout on, kind of. And um, also don't take pictures. I think that's weird, taking pictures at the gym. I think it's, if you do that, I'm praying for you. Um, if you work out enough, we'll know. You don't have to take a picture to prove you're at the gym. And so, but while I was there getting my inspiration for this message, um, I don't know what it is about me, but I don't look good at the gym. My face is all red. My hair is messed up. I don't look, I don't want people remembering me that way. Like I'm hoping to God if I die at the gym, somebody's going to comb my hair and wash me up before my big funeral or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, okay, never mind. So, but I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I don't know what Peter expected to happen. I think the way Peter lived his life was he was an all in. He just jumped in. And so when it came to Peter getting out of the boat into the water, I think he just jumped in. I don't think he kind of tiptoed in to see. You know, I don't think you ease into faith. I think you just jump into it. And so I think Peter just jumped in. And I don't know if he had an expectation of anything happening when his feet hit the water, but here's what I know didn't happen. The storm didn't stop. Because isn't it true, if we're really being honest, isn't it true that we think the first time we step out of faith, out of the boat, into a storm, we kind of have an expectation of the storm's going to stop. Oh, come on and talk to me. Can we just be real for a minute and not holy and, and all pretending and, and pharisaical and like, oh, brother, I've never doubted. Shut up. <laughs> Can we just pretend we're all on the same page? Because I don't know about you, but many times when I feel like God's speaking and, it's in, and I think, okay, here I go, and I step, I'm expecting something different to happen. And when nothing happens at all, I'm thinking, where you at, Jesus? Like, we, you know, take the person that finally decided to tithe, and they're thinking, this is the week the lottery numbers are going to hit. <laughs> like, you already got problems there, bro, if that's what you're thinking. Anyways, <laughs> but you know, they're thinking this, you know, I tithe on Sunday, everything, you know, is going to be great this week and the car breaks down, the washing machine blows up. 
Because we kind of think like as soon as we take that first step, the storm's going to stop. But Peter hits the water. The storm didn't stop at all. See, faith doesn't change when the circumstances don't change. Because it overlooks them. Are you with me? And so he hits the water, doesn't change. And, and then let me go a step farther. Faith doesn't change when it gets worse. Right? Do you remember uh, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow? The, the three Hebrew children? Right? Um, you know, they're like, we're not going to bow. And you're going to bow or you're going to die. We're not going to bow. And they start heating the furnace even hotter and hotter and hotter. Like it went from this to that. You know, it's, it's, it's getting worse. What I love about them, they said, God may or may not rescue us, but we're not going to bow. See, faith doesn't change when circumstances don't change. And faith doesn't even change when circumstances get worse. I can't tell you how many times God has spoken to me a word and I'm like, here we go. Breakthrough is coming. And then it got worse. I'm like, God, don't ever talk to me again. Why do you do this to me? You talk to me and then crap happens. I'm tired of it. I was happy. And then you talk to me. Because isn't that really, isn't that really the battle that we all face as believers? I found that Satan was defeated 2000 years ago, but doubt is very much at large. And isn't it true that that's really, when it comes to faith, it's the same thing with Peter. It gets worse. He sees the wind and he starts doubting and he starts sinking. And isn't that kind of how it is when you step out and try to do something you've never done and you step out in faith and then all of a sudden the storm doesn't stop and then it looks like maybe the storm is getting worse. And now where you were like fired up, like Jesus is alive and I'm going to go strolling along the Sea of Galilee, not along it, but uh, upon it. And then it gets worse and you start sinking. It's like, well, what happened? I guess it's supposed to get it's supposed to get better, not not worse. It, it should get better. See, um, the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, I'm I, I'm a pilot. I don't really fly that much anymore. But um, and uh, I'm a terrible driver. I'm a great pilot. It's it's because of the ADD. There's more stuff to keep you occupied when you're flying. When I drive, I get bored. You set cruise, you go to sleep. And, <laughs> and so, um, but, but when you learn to fly, you, you, you fly under what they call visual flight rules where you can see everything. And you use your eyes just the same way you drive, just kind of more in the sky. And there's some clouds and things, but you stay away from them. And, you know, when you land, you use your eyes and like, oh, the airport's over there, you know. And, but then, then, then when, you advance and you want to be a safe pilot, <laughs> you learn to use all the instruments to fly and where you can fly when you can't see anything. And I remember the first time we were going to try this, my flight instructor took me up and it was, they call it the soup. It's where you, man, you just can't see anything. You can't, like you can't see the end of your wing out there. And he said, this would be great to learn. And so we're flying and we're flying along. He's like, I just want you to do straight and level, what they call straight and level. We're going to hold a heading and keep the wings level, right? Straight and level. 
basic maneuver, already know how to do it, already have a license. Flying along, he said, how do you think you're doing? I said, man, I got this. I'm rocking this business. <laughs> and he said, um, would it shock you to know we're making our third circle around the airport? <laughs> I'm like, why is the airport following us, bro? <laughs> he said, you're locked in like a, like a 10 to 15 degree bank and slightly climbing. You're just doing this. Do you know why? Because I was trying to use visual flight, the same things I use. In other words, my equilibrium and my sense of what we're doing. But the moment you take vision away, your senses don't work very well. And they'll lie to you. And now you have to learn to fly without trusting what you feel and see. It's not very natural to walk on water. It's a little sloshy. <laughs> and normally we're walking around on ground. It's like, hey, I got this. Hey, hey. But walking on water, you can't trust it to be like earth, like land, right? And you can't look at the wind and you can't look at the waves you have to learn to walk a different... We walk by faith, not by... i got to learn to walk while ignoring what I see and feel. And see, I, I, you know, I think that's the struggle for all of us when it comes to the impossible. Do you know what the problem is with doing the impossible? It's impossible. Think about it. Go do something impossible. You're like, I can't do that. Why? It's impossible. <laughs> but at the same time, that's what we're summoned and called to do is the impossible. But it's not possible. That's right. Go do the impossible. But it's not possible. I know. Go do it. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. <clears throat> and it's hard to learn to walk in the impossible because you know why? Doubt's very much alive and sometimes you start sinking. And you know, I disagree with how I've heard this because a lot of people say, Jesus chastised Peter. Peter, why did you doubt me? You know, but I don't, I don't think Jesus is mean. He was only mean to Pharisees. I just don't see it that way. In fact, the story doesn't even end the way we think it ends. Because we think it ends with Jesus saved Peter and they climbed in the boat. It's not actually how it ends. And then we think it ends with the disciples laughing at Peter. You're all wet and you sank. <laughs> but that's, that's just not even... I don't think Jesus would ever criticize the one who got out of the boat. You see, faith is a grind. And, and, and that's the truth, isn't it? Because doubt wind, waves. Sometimes you just grind, you're grinding it out. It's like we, we, we recruit you, say you need to join a dream team and you do and you need to join a dream team for you because that's how you grow and that's how God changes you and that's how God works through you. But if you talk to any of our dream team members, they'll tell you it's a grind. There are days you don't want to be here. There are days you don't, you don't feel good. There are days other things are going on. There's days your kid's acting crazy. It may shock you 
there are days I don't feel like preaching three times. Shocker. I've actually preached the weekend with strep throat, and I didn't find out till Monday. I just knew I felt like crap. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew I had fever. Because there's a little bit of a grind. And sometimes we're, we're, we get so focused on the grind that we forget that while we're grinding, there's still grace. And Peter gets in the middle of the, of the ocean or, or the sea, if you will, gets in the middle of the sea. And now he's grinding out his faith like it's not going well. The wind and the white caps, and now he's, he's sinking, Right? He's trying to grind it out. He's trying to walk. He's trying to do the impossible. He's trying to step on the water. He's been stepping on the water, but now a few steps out into it or out in the sea. Now all of a sudden he's saying, the only thing wrong with doing in the impossible is that it's impossible. And all of a sudden he's figured out I'm walking on the water and maybe he didn't know how to swim. I don't know. He's walking on the water, he's grinding it out, and all of a sudden, he starts sinking, and people preach this, and they're like, and Jesus came and saved him and told him, you big dummy, but that's not the way that I read the text. He starts sinking, he's grinding it out, and then he starts sinking, he says, Jesus saved me, and what he found out is that the end of your grind, there's always more grace. And I don't think Jesus had a problem. In fact, it doesn't even, the story doesn't end the way we think it is because what actually happens is he's like, Jesus, I was walking on the, I got out of the boat. I did my best. I was walking on the water. Save me. And Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. And I think Jesus didn't say, you know, stone Jesus with the British accent or whatever that is. <laughs> oh, Peter, why did you doubt? You know, I don't think he did that. I think he picked him up and said, hey, Peter, man, why'd you doubt? Like you had it whooped. You had it whooped. Do you remember when you were teaching your kids? I remember teaching Luke to walk. We taught all of our kids to walk. I guess we teach them. Do you teach them to walk? I think you stand there and throw them at the other parent until they figure it out. Because what we would do is we would sit on the floor with our feet touching each other. And we'd hold the kid, right? And say, walk to mommy, right? And you let go of the kid. And and we call it walking, but it's really falling forward. (laughs) Right? Because it's like, walk to mommy. And then mom catches them and turn, walk to dad, you know, and, and you just keep doing this. And every time they nearly bust their head on the floor, you're like, yeah, you're walking, you're walking. Are they walking? No, they're falling forward. Now, what makes you think that if we could celebrate one of our kids trying to walk and falling forward, that God would ever chasten, chastise, criticize, or make fun of one of his kids who's trying to fail forward. I think Jesus was okay catching him, just like I was okay catching my kid, because like he's trying to get out. It's okay, Peter. I got you. At the end of your grind, there's always more grace, man. You stepped out of the boat. That's okay with me. See, Jesus knows we're weak. He knows we're broken. He knows we have doubt. Do you remember in the Bible where the dad brought the demoniac son to Jesus, and he said, can you do anything for him? And Jesus said, anything's possible to those who believe. And this man, in all honesty, cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but I also doubt. And Jesus said, that's okay. I'll work with the belief and we'll work on the doubt. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Some of you think you're sinking. I'm like, no, you're just falling forward. He's going to catch you. Because, see, the story doesn't end where we think it ends. It, we think it ends with Jesus saved him, they get back in the boat. But, but, but no, 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 no. They, it said Peter walked across the water. They're not by the boat anymore. So how does the story end? Peter's walking out to Jesus and starts sinking. And Jesus reaches down, pulls him out, and says, Oh, geez, you know, oh, Peter, man, you had this whooped. Don't doubt. You got it. And then Jesus and Peter walked on the water back to the boat. You thought you were sinking. No, you're just halfway through the trip. You thought he was upset because you doubted. He's like, no, I'll work with your faith. I'll work with the faith you have. We'll work on the doubt. There's always grace at the end of your grind. I wish you were as excited about this as me. Because if this was a Pentecostal church, I would take off running right now with my handkerchief. And this is the third time I've been through it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm saying this is, a, this is the God that we serve. When we take risk, when, when we pursue opportunity and take risk, and we overlook the circumstance, even on our worst day when we doubt, there's always grace for our doubt. Jesus is not trying to disqualify us because of the doubt we have. Jesus is trying to work through us because of the faith that we have. Don't stop believing. That's what the psalmist said. Remember the worship band journey? They were singing, don't stop believing. You can stand with me. <laughs> we finally got to 80s rock. I'm good. Um, but I think God's called us to, he's summoned us to a lifestyle of the impossible. But we have to get out of the boat. We, we, have, to, we have to pursue opportunity. We have, to, we have to take, I was thinking about this, we have to take risks. I, you probably haven't thought about this because you don't have my perspective, but I'll give you my perspective. Um, today, you came and sat in the biggest risk that Julie and I ever took. That's just true. We were talking about it last night. I'm like, those people are sitting in the risk that we... See, we started the church, we lost everything. Now we're pastoring 75 people and, and the church had no money to pay us. And God's like, you just keep walking on the water. I don't want to walk on the water. I like the boat. Like, I'm okay with Skeeter. <laughs> now you walk on the water. But because we did that, you're actually sitting in. Today, people were saved in the biggest risk that she and I have ever taken with our lives. Now, here's my challenge to you. What I would love to see is people sitting in the risk you took with your life, the risk you took with your faith. I like to see people saved in the risk that you took with your faith. <laughs> 